Hey, listeners, do you fucking love music? Because we do. And if you fucking love music, please consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash on the record music, where for just $5 a month, you can have access to our private podcast where we go in depth on albums, do extended album reviews, do impromptu shows, do live shows, legacy albums, lots of great content on the Patreon, on the private podcast, because we want to share our love of music with the entire world. Look, it's really fucking easy these days to put out a video on YouTube and say, here's why this band sucks, or here are the worst songs out today, or or this song or this album is just crap. It's all clickbait. And that's not who we are. We love music. and We love sharing music. We love talking about music. We are musicians. We are music listeners. We go to concerts. We go to festivals. And that's what we want to spread to the world. And you can help us do that. If you believe these same things that I'm talking about right now, please consider joining us on Patreon. We know you have a choice with what to do with your money. And we hope for just $5 a month, you consider supporting us so we can continue to spread this message and continue our mission of just fucking rocking. So if you would, please go to patreon.com slash on the record music and join us. Now let's get fucking rocking. On the Record Music is a music podcast for those who just fucking love music. And folks, we are upping the ante on our review request. If you head over to Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and leave us a review, throw in an album you want us to review, and we will do it on this show, no questions asked. You don't have to listen on iTunes or Apple Podcasts to do it. Just If you have iTunes on your computer, do it there. If you have an iPhone, you can do it there too. In today's episode, we're taking on Glass Animal's new album, Dreamland. This one is a shift into full-on pop music, but it's not a bad album. Jesse and I are fans, and we normally don't talk about this sort of stuff, but we had a good time with this one. So stick around, sit back, and enjoy the show. They hand you a joint as you walk in. It's like having a leadoff hitter that hits 210. Well, you know, Jesse, you're wrong. Because you can never have enough guitar solo. How's that high life doing? <laughs> it's damn oh, Love it. So I don't know, uh, Ben, I don't know if you've noticed, I've been drinking this delicious cocktail that uh, I happened to concoct for uh, today's episode. Well, it's not actually for today's episode, it's just actually that I just made a cocktail for today's episode and it happened I've been to be meaning to special. talk to you. I've been meaning to talk to you about that. I don't know if this is the right platform, but I think you might have a problem, Jesse. What, what, why? What do you think about that? That I shoot film very well when I uh, am actually hammered after trying many different old-fashioned recipes? I was going to say, I don't think you drink enough. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Well, well, I don't drink anymore, but I also don't drink any less, as my uncle would say. I used to do drugs. I still do, but I <laughs> used to, too. Oh, man. Gotta love him. Mitch. Miss the boy. But Mitchy Mitch. Good old St. Paul boy. I'm, I'm going to be St. Paul boy now. Or I am St. Paul boy, legally. And I have to say that for homesteading purposes. <laughs> but, yeah, no. Been drinking the old uh, Buffalo Old Fudgedin. The Old Fudgedin. The Old Fudgedin. How's she taste? Uh, mighty good. It's got the bitter, that cherry vanilla bitters right up front, so it sweetens, and then it gets that nice little bourbon hit right in the back. Okay. So it's not too bad. So hopefully everybody uh, gives it a chance uh, out there. It's absolutely delicious. I love I love old fashions. I'm glad Jared has brought it to our attention last week in our interview with him, or a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago it was. I need to a get some more bourbon. B get a good orange. 
the simple syrup. I'm, I'm basically all the ingredients short of a good old fashioned. <laughs> yeah, you, but your 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 uh, you know your quick way is actually pretty uh, sounds pretty good too. Usually. My poor yeah. man's old fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to find the right words for it, and I was just like, oh, the alternative way. <laughs> yeah, that was a poor man's. I mixed whiskey with some triple sec, which is orange liqueur, and maybe a little bit of water. Hey, it goes a long way. Up. You know, it goes that, a long way. That's what I did last week and got the job done. The end result is the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it just gets that nice little buzz for the show, and it gets the cheeks rosy. It gets the hair, like, all frizzled out. It's not too bad. No. Yeah. Well, speaking of last week, what was your week in music like? Is there anything good you wanted to share with me? Well, I think we have to celebrate today because as of this recording, August 20th, it is Mr. Robert Plant's birthday. Yeah! Celebrating 72 years, Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin, lead singer, of course. Still slaying, still doing his thing at... did I say 27? I meant 72. Yeah, you did say 27. I think yeah, you're trying to allude see, to our 27 little, club. Yeah, I got a little dyslexic yeah, there. Who's, yeah. yeah, who's been having the old fashions here, brother? You know, Jesus. And I've been drinking water all day. Wow. Off to a great start on this one. Yeah, could you imagine if he was 27 today with that vocals? It would be amazing. Him and Adele would be like rocking it out like nonstop. It would be pretty sweet. If he was 27 today, though, I have some more questions about... The space-time continuum and how life works. Well, that or he could be a leap year baby, but that doesn't make sense since it's August 20th. So never mind. I will not speak about that. He'd be a leap year baby for a lot of years. And a lot of months, too. (laughs) Gosh. So happy birthday, Robert Plant. I know it was weird. I just saw, I think it was on um, Instagram that there was a a old picture of... uh, of uh, Jimmy Page trying to pluck out uh, Ramble On, and then they went back and they showed him today, or like within the last couple of years, of trying to do Ramble On, um, and it's almost exact photo. It's just hilarious that that's that's like like his process. That's his pose almost. It's pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. I was listening to some Zeppelin Two today when I was making lunch. Ooh. Speaking of Ramble On. Yeah, did the levy break on the peanut butter and jelly then, or what? What kind of the sandwich? levy actually held on this time? Yeah, yeah. What'd you go I for? I was actually I was making a uh, apple broccoli salad. Ooh, really? Mm-hmm. Nice. What kind of dressing? Yeah. It's like a homemade dressing. It's got olive oil, apple cider vinegar, some garlic, a couple spices. Fucking right. We should do a whole episode on Veggie Tales and what kind of music they bring into their. Uh, you know, adventures. I don't have a huge history with Veggie Tales. The only time I really ever remember watching it was there was a brief period of time where I had to go to daycare in the morning before school. I was mm-hmm. probably in like second grade, and I think that's the only time I really remember Veggie Tales ever being on the TV. I never watched it personally. I don't even really know where it was ever on TV. I've I've also only heard of the uh, perversion, you know, uh, scale of it, which is the uh, the parody of uh, Veggie Tales, you know, uh, for mm. you know sexual in- quantations there. Let's get some, some sexual connotations. That's in the uh, late night edition of OTRM podcast. Yep, uh, that's when Ben and I are both um, shaved, well uh, dressed in a robe, and nothing else. Maybe a guitar, you know. You're turning me on already. Yeah, I can see the nips are popping. Woo! (laughs) So, 
what else this week in music? Is there anything else? I, I really didn't have that much other than just listening to our the reason why we're here today, the the four boys from uh, from England. Yeah, unless you want to talk about the Beatles and their anniversary that they're celebrating this week as well. Oh, wasn't uh, they released Abbey Road? Didn't no? Didn't you send me an article about like it's like their fiftieth anniversary of them breaking up? Well, I don't know. It was them breaking up. I just saw, and in the end, I just kind of saw that it was just talking about "Let It Be" and "Get Back" and uh, Peter Jackson's kind of like retelling of "Let It Be." Um, you, yeah, I think they would have broken up way back in fiftieth anniversary would have been in March actually, unless they signed the papers uh, in August. I'd have to re reread that, but I I was more intrigued about how the the story of Peter Jackson kind of going back into the vault and um, you don't know, I mean like Ringo and well, I shouldn't say Ringo mostly, but Paul for sure was like, Nope, we're archiving all the footage from the get back sessions, which ended up being let it be the movie and the, uh, the album. So it was just really nice that Peter Jackson was able to look at the, I think it was about like 80 hours worth of video um, of footage of the Beatles practicing and their camaraderie and, you know, just being able to see it through another lens rather than the really crappy let it be um, kind of like how they're just bitchy at each other, as George Harrison would say. So I was very intrigued by that. But also I also like the aspect of um, the Beatles wanted to play Lord of the Rings. Uh, they wanted to make that one of their mm-hmm. movies. And so now Peter Jackson's coming back into it. And um, it's kind of like that Lord of the Rings, you know, you know, kind of a interlocked there has come back 60 years later. And it's just fucking right. hilarious, you know? Right. So, yeah, uh, that was the reason I sent that puppy out. And that's a great article. It, it's on the Rolling Stone. Um, it's on the Rolling Stone, like it's on the internet. Um, you know, it's a Rolling Stone article. Um, I forget the artist at the top of my head, but a wonderful article. Um, and then the current, did you see that the current? Um, it's based off of a book. Um, I think, and um, the current had highlighted, and in the end, which is a, a, a longer detailing of that book or that mm. article, basically. And so it's kind of like again, uh, the uh, the current has been kind of like copying us uh, after we've done a few things here. <laughs> Someone's got to lead the way. We've got it. We got it. We're we're starting to break barriers, brother. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm looking at that article now, and I actually saw that like a day before you'd sent it to me, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, And so I skimmed it, and I thought, he's just referencing. So he says, 50 years ago, the Beatles went through Rock's most famous breakup, Inside the Heartbreak, the Brotherhood, and Why the Music Still Matters. This was just released August 17th, so just a few days ago. And that's, I think, what triggered in my head that their breakup was 50 years ago, like this week like April. Yeah, it would have been like April so that when you read that, when you actually read the article a little bit more in depth, it's McCartney and the Beatles were trying to release Let It Be, um but McCartney also wanted to release a solo album and mm-hmm. he had this whole press kit out and everything like that. Well, he purposely because he hated the fact that Phil Spector worked on on like a lot of his songs and made them kind of crappy. Mm. Um he <laughs> He, he said, okay, well, you guys are releasing it on April whatever, you know, or March something. I can't remember when it was. And then McCartney goes, I'm going to release my album. And they're like, no, you got to do it a few weeks later. And he's like, nah, I'm moving it up. I'm moving it up when you guys are. And so the Beatles then pushed it back 
And so it was like one of these big fuck yous. And that was like one of the last, um, you know, things that the Beatles were like, okay, we're, we're done. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's a game over. Yeah. But I got to give, you know, I'm more of a probably Harrison Lennon guy out of, you know, out of the Beatles, you know, rankings. And I would definitely say that was a pimp McCartney move. I would have done the same too. The way that Lennon was kind of letting, um, letting, uh, Phil Spector, uh, take his songs and kind of like add these like heavy orchestras. They were just demos of uh, long and winding road, which is a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just great that uh, McCartney was like, nah, here's my middle finger. <laughs> Sit on it. You nah, know? Nah. So, so it, that's a great little Beatles uh, history back, back, uh, background right there. You're a good Beatles history guy, Jesse. I got to admit. Uh, I've, I'm, I've, I've still got some dust to brush off, you know, cause there's quite a bit of books. You see my book collection. I have, I, mean, I, I have got, a couple of your books. Do you? Yeah. I've been wondering where those, have, no, I'm just kidding. I don't I've even got, remember. I've got the Beatles gear book. I think yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's your book. Yep. Um, and then I might just have a couple of my own, but that, I think that one for sure is yours. It's that big white book and it's got like yep, all the different gear they the use. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a boss one. I like that one. No, yeah, so it's like you see my collection. I've got quite a few, so it's kind of one of those things where I spend a lot of, you know, good free time just reading up on them. So it was mm-hmm. fun. But I still, you know, there's there's some surprises where I'm like, shoot, I forgot about that, you know? Yep. So so it'll be it's uh it's always fun to kinda like dive into them a little bit. So and speaking of diving into some uh, really good English pop music, what do we got this week, brother? So this week we are going to talk about glass animals. I had texted you last week or whenever we were deciding which albums we wanted to do next. And I was kind of ready to shake things up a little bit mm-hmm. because we kind of been getting into a pattern of, of rock music or country music and kind of doing that. So I was kind of ready to break it out a little bit and I wanted to go a little more poppy. And I've been a fan of glass animals for a while now. So I sent you like four different albums is like, hey, I think we should do like any one of these four artists which one and you're like let's do glass animals so that's what we did and Mm -hmm. i've been a fan for about five years now i would say that's kind of when i first heard of them i'll get that i'll get that into that in just a second but so just a quick recap of glass animals for those of you who may not know or including jesse glass animals was formed in oxford england in 2010 led by dave bailey aka wavy davy and then along with childhood friends, Drew McFarlane, Edmund Irwin Singer, and Joe Seward. Um, I'm not sure if they're all from England because Dave talks a lot about growing up in Texas in the mm-hmm. songs. And then other places that I've read reference like them growing up in Texas. So I don't know if they went to school in Oxford or why they all ended up there and starting the band there, especially if they were friends from childhood. That seems kind of odd that they would move there unless they moved there to start the bands. I don't know the full the full story on that, but I'm pretty sure they at least grew up or lived in Texas at some point for their childhood, at least. Yeah, I kind of I kind of you get that sense a lot that they were definitely Americanized childhoods um, growing up quite a bit throughout this album. But then also just reading up about the songs as well. So it does kind of like you kind of wonder a little bit more about their history. Yeah, because a lot of the references that we'll talk about, it's very American, you know, references that 
I think you and I can both relate to growing up predominantly in the 90s, a lot of TV shows, snacks, different things that we were exposed to that I assume people who grew up in England probably didn't have, you know, it's, everything's a little bit different in every country. So I would imagine most of the growing up happened, or at least a good portion of it happened somewhere in the United States, at least Texas. So Wavy Davy does most of the writing and the production for the band. Uh, he's a singer, guitar player, plays the keys, plays the drums, plays the synths. Uh, Drew McFarlane, guitar player, keys, vocals. Ed plays, Ed Irwin, singer, plays bass, keys, and vocals. And then Joe Seward is a drummer as well. They have It's kind of a similar situation to Tame Impala, but not full on like Kevin Parker is the only member. And then there's the other guys who play live. This is more of a group and the group does contribute to writing and doing some of the recording as well, but Dave does most of it, and then the other guys will contribute. So it's not like a full-on Kevin Parker, Tame and Paula situation, but there's glimpses of that. Um, so they've, Glass Animals is at three albums. Zaba came out in 2014. That was their first album, followed by How to Be a Human Being in 2016, and then, of course, Dreamland came out in 2020. They're part of Wolftone Records for all three, and then some sub- subsidiaries. I don't know exactly how the whole record thing works. We've talked about this before, but when you look up like the record label that a band is with, there's like three or four often listed for one album. So I don't know if like it's one album for production, one album for distribution, one or one label for this or that. I'm not exactly sure how all of that works, but Wolftone seemed to be like the underlying similar record label for all three of those albums oh yeah definitely i liked um i like being a human or uh, how to be a human being quite a bit uh that one i kind of got one of those uh love you know ignore uh relationships with so it's not love hate i don't like i don't like that with music because i usually like a lot of music unless you're bono um so it's more of a love ignore I, to me i put that album on it, it's got some really good pops where it kind of is more of a background album and i mean just in general you know youth and mama's gun are probably one of my favorites off of that and uh, oh what's the other one take a slice as as another good one off of that um so mm-hmm. those are like the highlights that i remember from that second album i've never given their first album too much of a of a listen fully all the way through. Um, but you know, obviously black Mamba is a very, very amazing tune and uh, probably my favorite one out of, uh, all of theirs. And I remember uh, gooey playing, I think on the current mm-hmm. after, um, South by Southwest is kind of like where they broke out roughly 2015, I think, or maybe 2014. Now that I'm thinking about it, cause we were working together for sure. Um, so those were like my main highlights. Um, that I really found uh, with Glass Animals, other than hearing them quite a bit just on the current or, you know, friend suggestions of a song or something like that. But uh, I really like what they did with, um, you know, How to Be a Human Being, because I think there are some nice highlights that we'll talk about in uh, Dreamland, mm-hmm. their, their their third album here. Yeah, How to Be a Human Being is probably so far still my favorite, just out of the three. And that's about the same time when I heard of them, too. I think I first heard of them in 2015, So I actually think I heard about them and saw them on the same day. And that's because I was at Bonnaroo in 2015 and Glass Animals was performing Thursday night and then they were sandwiched in between, get this, you and I are going to like this one, they were sandwiched in between Temples and Benjamin Booker. 
Jesus Christ, what? Yeah, so, and they all played oh. in the same tent at Bonnaroo, and that's why I got to see them all three back to back to back. And that's why I saw Glass Animals. I didn't really know who they were. Some of the other people that I was with did and wanted to see them, so that's why I stuck around. So we saw Temples first, and then Glass Animals played. And that's, I saw them play, and I didn't really know any of their songs the first time I saw them play. And I thought it was a pretty good show. The music seemed a little bit out there for me. I wasn't totally into it right away because it's very poppy. I mean, you listen to this and you can tell Mm -hmm. just based on what we talk about on this podcast. It's not definitely (laughs) in our our main lane. Yeah, it's not up here. It's kind of just, you know, a little bit right there. We we like it, but it's got to be just right, you know. Right. I'm not I wouldn't consider myself a hardcore fanboy by any means. But then I got to see right after them, Benjamin Booker and everyone else in the group left to go see somebody else. But I want to see Benjamin Booker. So since I was by myself and it was during the shift, you know, there's a big exodus of people and a big and more people come back into the tent. So I got to get up real close. And I was basically like second row for Benjamin Booker for this show at Bonnaroo. Wow. And I was right up front there for that one, which is really I, cool. I got to admit, those are the two artists I think I've experienced the closest um, in a in a you know, music, live music situation. Mm. That's the closest I've gotten to the stage are those two artists the most, because we've definitely done, you know, when Munstock and I saw Benjamin Booker at, at Turf Club, we were right up there, man. And yep. so it was beautiful. So the same thing when you and I went to Palomino Festival, see Booker, we were right up there. Yep. And of course, the last three times we've seen Temples, we've been extremely close to them, me, especially mm-hmm. at 7th Street Entry. But, you know, we were at uh, Electric Fetus. That was like literally like 10 feet away from us. Um, Turf Club seeing them was pretty close. We were still pretty close at that time. You, me, Huff, and Munstock went there. Uh, we've, mm-hmm. That artist, uh, the Temples, we've definitely seen uh, a lot, like super close. Yeah, that Electric Fetus show is cool because it was an album release show, and mm-hmm. there wasn't a ton of people. So it's in a record store. It's not even in a concert venue. It's in this record store, and there was, what, maybe 50 people there, 100 people there? I don't. I couldn't yeah. tell you. We were so close, I don't even remember. But, yeah, yeah, I don't think basic. I ever looked backwards to see like how full it was. I I, I don't remember. Usually, Munstock was really good about that because he's taller than us, so you know he yeah. could actually see back there. But I know around the aisles, right around them, was pretty full. Same thing mm-hmm. with Caroline Smith. I went there. It was about fifty people. So I think there was a little bit more for Temples, but there was about fifty people for Caroline Smith. Was your Smith at the time? Uh, now. Um, so it was. It's a nice little spot to go see a show and just you know go into a record show. It feels like old school. Yeah, it's kind of intimate. It's really cool. So the second time that I saw Glass Animals was Friday, October 7th, 2016 at The Myth. So that was just after they released How to Be a Human Being. Yeah. And it was that tour. So I saw them at Myth Nightclub in, they bill it as in Minneapolis, but it's not. It's in Maplewood. Mm-hmm. It's like just it's like right a 20 up, or 30 minute the, drive yeah, just outside right up the of street Minneapolis. From me now. Yep, yeah. Right up from my house now. It's crazy. You can go there all the time now. It's great. Yeah, yeah it's um, empty. But see, <laughs> seeing them live is kind of cool. They put on a really cool, fun, energetic show. You can probably just tell that just based on how the music sounds, listening to it. They're wild. They're dancing. It's fun to just kind of go and let loose and have fun. And I was there with a few mm-hmm. friends, and we we're all just there to have a good time. And they do some wild stuff on stage and lots of, like, props and things. It's, it's pretty cool. 
And that's what I've been seeing when I when I looked up a couple of their live uh, shows, like just clips and stuff. And uh, it seems mm-hmm. like they put on a, a unique show compared to what the album is. So yep. that's kind of a nice way to kind of see it. They make it more a little more dancey rather than true pop. They'll still have their pop elements with it, but they make it a little bit more dancey. It seems like so. And it's a good thing you got to see them because uh, the drummer Seward. Um, basically got injured after this in a, in a horrible accident while cycling in Dublin, and uh, they had to cancel their tour. Um, and I know they've been touring for a couple of years, actually, just on that album. So um, hopefully uh, everything's good with him, and uh, if he's come in with some of these drums in, on this album, it's it's definitely bopping. Yeah, that definitely stopped everything short, and that's kind of what inspired this album or was kind of the catalyst for this album um, once Joe was in that accident, Dave kind of, there's a quote and he said he was like, he had to turn introspective for the music and, and looked back quite a bit and leaned on nostalgia and growing up to find that inspiration or that strength to make this album, which is kind of cool. So if you listen to their first two albums, the lyrical content is, I don't want to say superficial, but it's definitely not introspective it's more external looking and then if you listen to a lot of the lyrics he starts to tell more personal stories and as we go through each track you'll hear a lot of it especially towards the end there's a couple that are really heavy relationship based kind of songs which you don't normally hear at least we haven't heard on the first two albums yeah definitely they they jump into uh, wonderful lyrics and the dreamland aspect so this album was released august 7th 2020 so just a couple weeks ago so it's pretty brand new it debuted at number two on the uk charts and then currently it sits at number seven on the billboard 200 here in the united states yeah it's it's rocking actually it's it the numbers are pretty good all across the board uh on most of these peaks when it first peaked you know they're really starting to to make a name for themselves i feel like they're one of those bands that for as popular as they are they aren't super popular if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Definitely. I think one of those things is that you've heard, um, I think a couple of their songs have actually made it on TV shows or something like that. So, I mean, you've heard a, a handful of their songs for sure. Um, if you got a, a radio station or something that's within your um, within your city or something like that within range, it's like, yeah, if they're going to be playing some progressive music kind of stuff like this, this psychedelic pop kind of stuff is probably going to make a little bit here and a little bit there. I mean, the it, it, they've done quite a, a good job musically of um, just being really good, actually, and kind of experimental. Mm-hmm. I would think just based on, so they seem to be getting more and more popular, and if this album continues to be as popular as it has been, it seems like they're, I don't, I really don't want to keep comparing them to Tame Impala, but it's hard not to draw some similarities. And I think because Damon Paul is kind of one of those bands too, where for as popular as they are, they still don't seem very popular. And I think just Mm -hmm. now Kevin Parker is really starting to get the accolades that he deserves. And now he's starting to be featured on a lot more other people's music. People are talking about him more. You hear his name more in the mainstream culture of music. And just now Tame Impala was starting or on their tour where they were filling up arenas which they hadn't done before or playing big arena shows and I think Glass Animals might be on a similar path I you know I don't want to say they'd be playing arenas right now I don't think they would be but 
it seems like they're kind of on that similar tra- trajectory where they're not quite as popular as you might think they are. And then all of a sudden, like in an album or two, boom, they're just going to be everywhere and everybody's going to know who they are. You know, I got to admit, I would imagine that uh, that trajectory of Tame Apollo is kind of the right way to look at it. I would say this album has a chance to do it just because they are British, or, you know, in that British realm where... You know, things over there just pop up out of nowhere. And so, you know, with Tame Apollo being more Australian, I can understand where that would take just a little bit more, maybe. Um, for me, I, to me, I think they kind of have a popish sound, kind of like Catfish and the Bottleman from the same era. But mm. they were, they had a huge explosion, like kind of right away um, in that you know, early t- 2010s kind of a thing. I think they, can, they have a potential with this album to maybe hit that way, but at a Tame Impala level. You know, like they're they pretty much, I think, could play pretty good arenas, but I wouldn't say like, you know, U2 size, not Rolling Stones size, right. where you're selling 100,000, no, 150,000, no, no. even Catfish and the Bottleman or, you know, Adele or any of these artists. Uh, Beyonce would probably sell out, you know, 500,000 arena in a heartbeat. I don't think they would ever hit that. No, no, no. This. I'm but talking I like think this NBA is their, arenas. Exactly. I think this would, album would traject them into that because I think it shows an elevation in artistry a little bit, especially lyrically, where a lot of people kind of see that and they kind of have a, a good positive message of, you know, introspective, you know, look and, you know, maybe not nece- not necessarily, you know, losing the nostalgia, but using nostalgia in a, in a good sense. And, you know, I think their introspective look is actually really good, especially lyrically. Mm-hmm. So speaking of nostalgia... Tell me what you think of this album cover. So when I first saw this, I was kind of thinking Tron, like 80s Tron, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely it's got this video game feel, like 8-bit almost, but it's like holographic as well. So it's futuristic. Um, it looks like Davey's uh, head, is that his head just right in the center there floating? Yep. Very similar yep. to like Star Wars. So definitely has that 80s kind of futuristic want to look back into it. Um, love the purple, actually. The purple, uh, the little bit of pink and a little bit of a light blue kind of tones in there. And mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit of aqua blue in there. So all around, this one is really cool. Um, kind of has, you know, the fonts on there are very 70s, I would say. And so it kind of has um, that super retro feel to it. And yet it looks modern. It looks clean. And that's what's really cool about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny you said 8-bit because I described it as 8-bit psychedelic. <laughs> and it, it seems to be loaded with nostalgia just based on the color scheme, the waves. So those like lines that wrap around the cover, those remind me of there's this McDonald's growing up in Rochester. And we used to call it the sports McDonald's because it was like everything was in there was sports themed. And they had tons of sports posters and stuff. And there was these light fixtures that were like strewn across the top. They're like neon lights, basically. They were like these sing kind of string lights, neon lights that look like that same purple color. And that was a very 90s thing, this McDonald's, I'm sure, because all the posters in there were all athletes from the 90s. And so this album cover reminds me a lot of that. And there's a lot going on in here, too, with the basketball hoop, the hotel sign, the TV, Mm -hmm. the pool. I don't know if these things mean anything or not. I'm guessing these are a lot of Easter eggs to some people because it's or references to certain things because it's kind of cool. Or maybe it's just personal stuff to him from his childhood that he remembers. 
but it's kind of cool. It's yeah, it's that psychedelic. It's definitely different. And this is again where I got that first time that impression of like when that he's kind of the center of the band is because it's just his head. It's just mm-hmm. Dave's head. It's not. There's no reference to any of the other band members on here. So I don't know what the story is or reason behind that is. Maybe he just designed it and put it that way. But it's kind of cool. It's definitely different for sure. Yeah, is that a whale in the background? I never, I couldn't tell of that because I, I think I see a dolphin, but I, there's a little whale just like below his, well, his right cheek, but this uh, left side. Yeah, it kind of looks like it. Yeah, it's like a beached whale almost, and that that one I could never really pick out too well. The the head on here kind of reminds me of, I'm not how, how familiar you are with Rick and Morty, but the show me what you got, it's just kind of that stone head like person that comes in show me what you got mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah it's kind of like a demonic almost <laughs> all right let's get into the uh let's get into the dreamland of uh of the glass animals let's go to dreamland track number one appropriately titled dreamland I love the light fade in with kind of a stop then. And then mm-hmm. you get this nice kind of dreamy dotting keys a little bit, you know, comes in. Uh, sounds eerily like Gooey's opening almost, but it's I mean, different melodic sounds, but it has that mm-hmm. same tone actually. And that's what's kind of cool about it. Yeah, this, the way it sounds to me, it sounds just like you're falling asleep and you're entering this dreamland and the clouds part and you enter into this dreamland, and that's what he describes as he starts singing. Yeah, if you listen to about 26 seconds in, right when it actually starts, there's like this low register oohs that are in there, and it's really nice to kind of get that lower register, because there's also seems like this low register cello mm-hmm. almost in there, but there's these little oohs with the vocals, it pops up a, a few times um, throughout uh, the song, but it's really nice kind of comforting sound to kind of do exactly what you're talking about get you into that dream state Mm -hmm. yeah sonically there's a lot going on here from i don't know if that's a xylophone or bells i looked up the instrumentation of this album and there was only like listed as like guitars synths keyboards but and it put what each person did for each track and it didn't seem to add up to what i was hearing like i was like this definitely sounds like there's a synth and then there's no synth listed or no performer listed for the synth. So I'm confused as to totally like what is making all these noises and maybe some of it's literally just computer programming, like using a a keyboard plugin and maybe that doesn't get the instrument credit like it does if someone performs the same thing. I'm not quite sure, but either way, there's a lot going on here with that deep bassy cello sound, the ooze, the vocal modulation really creates a full sonic sound in your head. And they kick it off. I mean, the nostalgia hits right away and yeah. they hit the line at 137 when he says, make it feel like a movie you saw in your youth. So just kind of being explicit with it really and just being like, yo, remember that thing you saw when you were a kid? We're talking about that now. It's kind of like a preview of not only just, you know, what we're about to hit, but I mean, just kind of like of what nostalgia we're about to see. And I really liked it when you looked it up. Uh, The lyrics are actually really nice in here, especially the way that he rhymes within line and then at the end of lines. But most important here is when I looked it up, he said something about this is 
like the table of contents for the album intriguing mm. and beautiful way to kind of like make this into a concept album almost and make it a dreamland is to include that within the lyrics now it takes a lot of people if you're going to just listen to it and you got to listen to it intently i think um you you do get a sense of that when you when you have that in your head and you're listening it's like holy cow it is unfolding that way but if you don't really know that going in um and you just listen to it once or twice mm-hmm. you don't you don't you don't get the same i think vibe out of the whole album yeah. without knowing that this first song is actually basically detailing that right it's kind of meta and at the end so there's one thing i want to address right before this so really quick if you go to like 240 just a cool point of mixing when he says all around your head and that repeats and if you listen with headphones you can hear it going back and forth all around your head so that was kind of a cool way to phrase that Um, but then right after that he says the last like line on the way out when he says you float in the pool where the soundtrack is canned you go ask your questions like what makes a man oh it's 2020 so it's time to change that so you go make an album and call it dreamland so like you're talking about it's it's pretty meta and he's referencing the album in the song itself in the album in the song yeah it's hilarious because those are those were my notes too that i was just like in love with was that the 240 point that was beautiful because that spinning around is exactly the kind of shit that I like. You know how much I talk about production and mixing and, you know, even the sequencing of an album. That is like a beautiful aspect to, to it. Uh, to, to bring that much imagination behind the song is fantastic. And then, of course, the outro um, verse is really cool and how it just floats into the abyss almost. It's just mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of gives you that heads up. Yeah, there's some cool stuff, and I'm really glad the website Genius.com exists because when people contribute to the lyrics, it's really cool. So in that same outro, that second line is you go ask questions like, what makes a man? And then according to this contributor from Genius, they said um, in a cover story with NME, Dave speaks about growing up in the American South and how it kind of made him reluctant to talk about his emotions. And he gave a quote and he said, I was brought up in Texas where you're born a male, you're born with a penis, you play American football, you don't talk about your feelings. That's embedded to the psyche of men there from a very young age. People want you to be a hero, to be strong, to show any sort of vulnerability was a weakness. And so in this song, he's kind of questioning the typical gender roles and and what makes a man and kind of bringing that up too. So it's kind of cool and I'm glad someone was able to make that connection of like this article and tie that together. But this mm-hmm. is going to be a common theme throughout this album. There's a lot of deep lyrics here. And if I knew more about the band, if I was like a glass animal diehard, I'm sure I would know a lot more of these references, but cause there's a lot on here. That's pretty thick. Yeah. You, so you don't have like a 27 book library on glass animals. Like I do of the Beatles. No, not yet. Yeah. Well, maybe some, good. maybe someday, there, there might be one out there. You can start it today. <laughs> I'd be very surprised if there was twenty-seven books of the glass animals right now. Well, I think if there was one, they'd definitely have to be called Tangerine. It's a good name. Track it's number two. Track number two. Tangerine. So I gotta say this. I listened to this album like 
four times when I was doing housework to get me moved into my new house. Mm. And this song has always been at the top of mind because uh, top of my favorites, uh, just because I love this opening as it kind of reminded me of like the video game music from Final Fantasy three on Super Nintendo. And I know the exact scene and sequence, which is where um, Cyan, Sabin and Gao are traveling down the surfer trench to avoid the Empire Army. It's just so fucking awesome. This little synth part and it's very adventurous. It's and that's what I really after listening to Dreamland, which you kind of you know, the way that it ended, it's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. All of a sudden it kinda of like fades into this and then all you're like starting your adventure in the dream. It's fantastic's beginning. Yeah, it's a cool beginning because it sounds it's very upbeat. So it's like after that intro gets out of the way, now you're kind of on to the next thing. And it's funny because when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this is kind of upbeat. It's kind of got that like elevator supermarket music kind of vibe to it. Just something you kind of like pleasant music as you shop and you, you grab your canned beans and then you get your rice and get your milk. <laughs> well, it's funny that you, you say that because he does mention quite a bit of fruit or like, you know, he uses fruit as like a personification you know of many different things and so um he he really likes that for some reason i read in one of the articles that i read uh, up on glass animals and this album and it's kind of a nice way to actually bring it in uh with tangerine um i don't know why i said that because i was just looking at the lyrics and what i wanted to say was here is the first thing where i kind of was like okay i thought they were more british um, and not because I heard about, you know, ice cream sandwiches, which seems American to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Miyagi, the Hollywood, you know, um, you know, so there's a lot of good images that kind of made me kind of, you know, Karate Kid original from 1984 is one of my favorite movies of all time. So it's kind of like, wow, he spoke a lot of things that were very similar to what I experienced here in America in the late, you know, late 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. And it was just really cool that even though I was kind of listening from afar, and other than the nostalgia of Final Fantasy, he brought like a lot of American things where I'm like, wow, I didn't know you experienced that in in Europe as well. But, um, you know, knowing their history a little bit more, it kind of makes a little more sense. But that's where I was like, wow, this this is kind of bringing me back in the dreamland. Yeah, I'm going to I'm pretty sure just based off what we read and seen that most of the childhood was in Texas or growing up there. I don't think. I think the moving to England thing came much, much later. So I think all these references are pretty, pretty American. Like that last line of the first verse, I miss ramen noodles and laughing at you and your grand and home movies. I had a lot of ramen noodles growing up. (laughs) Those packs that you get for like 20 cents at the grocery store. Oh yeah. You know, what's funny part is about my friend Teal being a chef and always wanted to be a chef. We'd always just pimp out those those ramen noodle boxes all the time yeah that's the way to do it now you get like the package of ramen noodles but then you just add real ramen stuff to it that makes it actually quite tasty i know throw on some eggs some green onion a little bit of cabbage if you want that in there Mm. some napa here you 110 don't you like that little kind of torn up guitar piece kind of it's just it, it's 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 in the background a little bit and it's trying to rip but it feels i'm gonna go back to the 8-bit version it kind of just feels 8-bit but it's so cool yeah heavily modulated for sure it's a pretty cool sound it's not something that stood out to me right then and there because i was kind of more entrenched in the vocal melody he does a really good job of 
communicating music through melody. And we talked about that with Jared Zachary of Buffalo Fuzz in our last episode or a couple episodes ago. And it's just, it's really cool to hear when you can tell there's a focus on melody. And he does that same thing like in his courses at like 1.30 and it just all really like attracts you to the song. And so there's the one uh, there's one part here at 149, and it kind of just starts the like slow. There's like a little slow addition. It just lets the keys kind of do it. It feels like it's the start of the addition of home movies here that you're going to be seeing carrying throughout the album. Nice little drop in there to kind of like lead it into what we're going to see in eventual um, tracks throughout this album. Yeah, it's just a great little pepper. Yeah, lots of like sampling of like mm-hmm. maybe the home movies of like the kids' voices and stuff. And I know they've done that quite a bit on their other albums too. They're kind of, they work in different vocal sounds. And he does like, he's credited on the album as like being the vocal bassist. So that's that super deep voice, Fucking the modulated right. deep voice. And then they have the high end yeah. voice too. So it's pretty cool what they do with, with samples and different sounds and how they work them in there like that. And another part that I like is at 2.20 when he sings, it's 2.23 and you got friends on repeat. And it it says on repeat and on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. So again, it's kind of one of those like self-referential things where he's saying on repeat, but then he's also repeating the word repeat. Same Mm -hmm. way with that concept of like all around your head and moving it back and forth. Just a really cool, clever way to play on the words and put emphasis on it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Hey, so uh, Pete and Repeat are on a boat. Pete falls off. Who's left on the boat? Repeat. <laughs> uh, talk about childhood shit. Yeah, t- I haven't heard one back in the day. It's probably been about 20 years since I've heard that one. <laughs> I just saw it on Monk like two nights ago when I was like, I'm, I'm, I want something to watch to go to bed, you know, uh-huh. because I just got done working at the house. I'm like, that, and that joke came on. I'm like, I love that one. So that part right after that line at 240 that bridge i love it it sounds so cool because it sounds like you're falling through psychedelic infinity mm-hmm. and you just i feel like you'd just be like suspended float like weightless in air and all this like psychedelic shit is happening around you i mean it is like the wormhole or black hole of like nostalgia it's like it is like being not wormhole probably works better with that it, it, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, it's like that, that just hyperdrive into that next spot. Yeah. And that leads us into now our first interlude, what you referenced. Yeah. It's uh, technically a track. So it's track number three, which is Home Movie 1994. It's only seven seconds long. What is it? 27th of May, 1994. So that's kind of the first exposure there of just you hear voices and the characters of these home movies that get interspliced into it. And a pretty cool thing about these actually. So on YouTube, they have all of these songs, the actual songs in YouTube. And I believe one of the people in the band, I can't remember who off the top of my head. I think it was Drew McFarlane. So he took these home videos of their childhood but then also like home videos of the band just being on tour and put all of these songs to these different home videos so it's kind of cool you can go watch tangerine or hot sugar this next track and it's set to like home video montage clips 
So it's pretty cool. And they did that for, I think, all, if not most of the songs on here. So now does that include like the home footage that they've done where it's like Rockets or um, this last one was just 1994? Um, did they specify where they where they did that? No, but I think, I mean, it's all from that same library. I'm sure it's just like, hey, mom, do you have any home videos of us that we can use? And plus, it looks like they've just been kind of dinking around recording home video stuff on tour as well. So there's like Mm -hmm. splices of that from them goofing around while they're on tour over the last few years. And then there's footage of them just being kids doing, you know, whatever kid shit you do on home video. Now, the question is, before we go on to Hot Sugar... Did you ever have, do you have like home videos from your childhood or not? Um, My parents do. Do they? Yeah. There's. See, we, my family was not a video camera. We were more of photographers. Like we got a shit ton of pictures, mm. but we don't have any video ever. Like we weren't very much into the video scene, even though we love movies. Yeah. There's a weird gap of like, there's a lot of video from probably my first couple years of life. And that's, I think like when the camcorder was kind of new and cool and I remember that as a kid seeing it like in the closet and it was like you put the whole VHS tape in there so it was like a big thing that like you had to hold on your shoulder and record the video with because it recorded straight to the VHS tape and then we had one later on that was like a digital one probably 10 or so years later but there's probably a good amount of video from like years zero through five Mm -hmm. there's one funny video of me it was my fourth birthday and my mom or dad was asking me how old you are or how old are how old are you and I held up my hand like this and I was like I'm four and then like as I'm holding my hand up like my hand gets closer to my face and then I start picking my nose with my pinky finger (laughs) (laughs) while I'm like holding up the holding up four and then it just kind of like finds its way in there oh so that's how you do the really good pinky work on the guitar then huh yeah I've been practicing that out since a young age (laughs) Yeah, get down to that, you know, get down to that four four fret spread with the pinky. Yeah, right. That works. All right, let's move on. Hot sugar. (laughs) Track Track number number four. Track number four, hot sugar. And so the end of the home movie um, transition track kind of has like a little blip. And then I don't know if it's because of Spotify. Um, but there's like a blip, but then Hot Sugar starts with almost the same thing. And I thought that was a really cool kind of like click in because you get this like little transition where you're like, oh, where are they going with this? And then mm. just kind of like, ooh, it skips. And it's like, eh, kind of the nice way to bring it so it's like a little more old school. Yeah, that cool intro comes in and then that beat kicks in. Super funky and tasty. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's Hot Sugar right there. I got to tell you, uh, when I look at verse one here, I I think verse one has some amazing imagery just in the lyrics, and I think he does it pretty well, peppers it throughout the uh, the album, but really here, long black tulips, born in your blue tints, lemongrass eyelids, smoke in your slick lips, chocolate chapstick, backbe- backbeat strat flips, swimming pool spaceships, light through the wave tips. Just really good, not only just rhyming, but just it feels very alliterative and it's just really good but the imagery just in itself is just really good too yeah it's cool the it the language is super descriptive on here and that's kind of always been one of dave's specialties of just creating that really brilliant imagery 
and during the verse so I noticed this was kind of the first song where I really noticed the guitar come into play you'd mentioned that guitar a little bit there but this is the first time you can really hear that clean guitar and it's not much it's just playing like one chord and it's just hitting like that upbeat just bam and it's not prominent but it's there for seemingly the first time since we started talking about this album (laughs) yeah definitely there there isn't a lot of clean guitar but I love the different effects that they're bringing with it throughout the album and it's really you're right very nice to hear that cleanness right there Mm -hmm. yeah you don't hear a lot of people do a good job of mixing guitar with electronic beats like this Mm -hmm. that chorus those super catchy again just talking about the melody and it's one of those you hear it and you just you get addicted to it because it's so catchy the music's so good behind it of course you're gonna remember it so that bridge hits around 210 it's really cool because to me it sounds like instability or like a shaky part of a dream or maybe something's getting changed up if you look at it in the context of the album because things kind of get uncertain there for a while and and things just get a little crazy and then it opens up at 221 with that super deep bass that comes in the drum the hi-hat hitting those eighth notes and just kind of brings you back and gets you back into it again yeah, I like about 310 when that solo starts, baby. Oh, it just has a really good tone on it. And it's just like they keep saying, so cool, mm-hmm. so cool. Oh, oh, it's just really nice kind of break there. It, it, it has that kind of distortion, not actual true distortion, but just the guitar riff itself, the solo kind of has just this little bit, or it might be actually synth, actually, now that I think about it. Um, it just has that little bit of differentness than the rest of the song, actually. I really like it. That, that was a sexy little piece. Yeah, it's really cool. So we take it back home in track number five, Home Movie BTX. This one's another 14-seconder, so it's a pretty quick clip. So you can hear what I think is his mom say, are you watching Sesame Street? Like filming the kids. So again, there's kind of that nostalgia trip. I think most people have watched Sesame Street at some point during their childhood. Anyone who's alive today pretty much grew up with Sesame Street, you know, except at some point, unless you're over the age of maybe like 70. (laughs) You know, and I do got to admit, I know why that they put this in and they followed with the song that follows is because I think when we look back at people that we know throughout our time, we kind of think of them in one one era. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, athletics especially. We think Michael Jordan, one of the better basketball players of all time, and we think of him when we saw him. You know, a lot of people remember him from the late 80s to early 90s. I remember from, like, mid-90s to late 90s. And you kind of think of him in that way. And so when you see him, he's a little bit bigger, a little bit fatter or whatever. It's like, oh, that ain't Michael Jordan, but... It, I my like I went through something very similar where this you know the mom in there says are you watching Sesame Street but then they go to Space Coast Coast to Coast which is a totally fucking night and day difference from Sesame Street mm-hmm. you know and that that's what that song will come out but it's like for me my nostalgia is like my aunt Sue who God bless her soul she's a beautiful woman um, and she you know like even when I was like fifteen she gave me like Disney's Fantasia 
as a gift, like on VHS. And I'm just kind of like, I'm 15, you know, but it's like, yes, I liked that when I was a kid, but it's like, I'm 15, you know, it's like a little bit different. I'm trying to be cool now. Right. And that's when I kind of get, I like the addition of this little transition for that reason. Cause it brought really good nostalgia for me. And I love what they did mm-hmm. with track number seven, six, six space goes coast to coast. selling this thing oh this beat is wet no oh it's a goddamn family show on this podcast jesse but mm. no no it's fantastic oh yeah like i yeah, any family would accept me <laughs> oh that bass thumps mm-hmm. so it's got a, a similar the just the way it drives reminds me of the song wow by post malone just that similar like you just kind of do this when you're listening to it if you can't see me, I'm kind of just bouncing up and down like I'm rolling. Yeah. Oh, I can see you. Well, for our good listeners who can't. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't I didn't realize I didn't know until I looked this up that Space Ghost Coast to Coast is a TV show. But it makes sense after having looked it up. Oh yeah. But yeah, it's again the- just another nostalgia kind of trip going with this reference of the show. Mm-hmm. Stop. So wet. God, verse two is just so beautiful, man. Just loving that shit. It's just got so much nostalgia, remembrance, and rhyming throughout the whole fucking thing. It's just so fucking great. Great lyrics again. Just absolutely just drives this shit home with the melody. Mm. How about that dropout at 153? You know, just the even the buildup that follows that dropout. It's just amazing. It's dirty. It's just great feeling to it. It's, and it's very dirty. different from every, the previous choruses, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of those, like, seeing this live, people are going to go fucking nuts. Because it just gets so, like, you have this song you're grooving into, and you got those, like, do, 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 do. And then just. You know, people are going to be grinding to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is yeah. you. It's all in the hips on this one, baby. It's all in those thrusts for this one. Oh, it sounds so good. And as the song comes to a close around 245 ish, 249, you get that deep, echoey bass sound. So it just really fills out and just jams with you there for the end of that song. Mm. Yeah, this one got a star for me for one of my favorites off this album. Oh, excuse me. I gave it three stars. So <laughs> this one probably did top my my favorite. Man. There we go. This one comes all around. It kind of just left me uh, drifting a bit. No doubt. Track number seven, Tokyo Drifting, featuring Denzel Curry. Right away off the bat, this one... Kind of reminded me something off of maybe How to Be a Human Being or or something older. It's kind of the first song that didn't exclusively seem like a Dreamland track to me. Not that that's a bad thing, just something I noticed. No, that's one why I know it's a good intro by Denzel Curry and and kind of like that robotic uh, vocalization. But there is a sense of Dreamland lost. And so 
I kind of was trying to think, okay, am I staying in a dreamland state or am I kind of living another reality? Is there a kind of a split consciousness that we're trying to allude to? And I kind of wonder if, uh, if it kind of does talk into that a little bit. But first of all, I'm just going to say, dig in the 90s hip-hop vibe with, with this, with adding Denzel Curry to it mm-hmm. yeah, and the, having that heavy drop bass notes. I just know back in the 90s, I knew some friends that would have had some car systems that would have loved this song. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this is one of those. That car goes by. You can hear the plastic rattling. Yep. Oh, dude, my friend Lori Legeco would be like all over it. He'd be like, yeah, I got that. I got I got the system. <laughs> I love the clever lyrics in that first verse when he says, drug lust and two packets in your pocket. Disco dust hits your nose like a rocket. Talking about doing cocaine, doing drugs. And then in that second verse when he says, let it rip up like you drank all, all of the tequila. And he says, tequila. Just love the way he says that. Let it rip like you drank all the tequila. And then that split there where we go into like part two. Um, that part is at like 114. And it's actually pretty quick uh, for that transition. But I like how it kind of gets into, you know, kind of a more, I don't want to say safer zone, but it kind of like, gets in this openness mm-hmm. it's not just as rough like kind of like trugging down like a lane or anything it's more open and then all of a sudden that beat comes back in and it still feels wide open and it still sounds powerful it's yeah like, it elevates itself it just happens so fast but it all feels like the same song even though that part two kicks in just like a minute and a half like right there but then as this part's going on that we're talking about now i love when those horns come in and just really build that suspense and just get it driving. And then that's when Denzel Curry comes in yeah. and just rains fire on this thing. Yeah, I'm definitely feeling that third verse there. Um, you know, starts off a little slow, I think, but then rapid fire near the end there where he's just ripping, ripping, ripping. Even mentions Jordan Pippen, actually, now that I, yep. now that I think of it. Yep. Uh, but it's like, it really is a kick-ass ending to that third verse and into this really heavy, well-produced, well-mixed kind of uh, chorus that kind of gets in before the outro. I mean, it's just a really good, powerful uh, chorus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just a little more to that chorus beat coming on in there. I like this one, too. Mm-hmm. Wavy Davies, all right. So Wavy Davies, like his alter ego kind of guy. And <laughs> I think that song is kind of about his his alter ego song, Wavy Davy, being on fire. Doing the disco dust, doing the whole thing. Doing the doing the staying alive almost. But instead, might be switching over to See, I have no clue with fruit names. It's like I have no clue how to transition like like we normally do with with a fruit name, without being really gross at least. But uh, <laughs> so we go on the track number eight. So really quick, Jesse, before we keep going, I think it's a good time to remind people we are upping the ante here, and so we're looking Ooh. for some reviews on Apple iTunes and Pod Apple Podcast because that's Apple the best Podcast. way for us to continue to spread this message to people is positive reviews and subscriptions to our podcast. And then that tells Apple, Hey, these guys are doing something decent. Let's bump it up for more people to see. So 
If you go leave us a review on Apple iTunes or podcasts, which you don't have to listen to the show on there to do that. If you have iTunes on your computer or you have an iPhone, you can just go on there and do it. Leave us a review. And in that review, put in an album that you want us to cover and we will cover that album on an upcoming episode. No questions asked. We're not drawing out of a hat. If you leave us an album, we'll cover it. It can be your band. It can be your favorite band. It can be a Weird Al album. It could be Jesse's album that he made, his mixtape that he made for his ex-lover when he was 13. Mm-hmm. We'll review it. This offer stands till the end of September. So leave us a review by the end of September. So as of this episode, you've got over a month to do it. But I know you're going to forget. But the end of September, leave us a review, throw in an album you want us to cover, and we'll cover it. No question. We got asked. you. All right. We got you. Back to it. Track number eight Melon and the Coconut. <laughs> so now we get some real guitar going here. Oh, yeah. And you know, it, it still continued with that kind of overlay of. Uh, of kind of home movies or kind of just random sounds and it's just really nice to kind of have some laughing mm-hmm. uh, carried on from the previous track mm-hmm. even you know so but i love that uh appreggio and that flange guitar oh yeah this is kind of a weird song if you really listen to it so it's basically two verses and that's it so it's a pretty short song two and a half minutes and it's about this like relationship between this melon and this coconut i would assume that's taking place for somebody else I don't know if this is about him or not but just kind of like this relationship and how it seems to be stuck or falling apart and they're not quite sure where to go with it it's pretty pretty interesting but that's all this song really is it's kind of weird I did write uh, for one of my notes is seriously the start of this album would be great while playing Final Fantasy 3 for Super Nintendo I can see myself smoking some trashy Duluth weed on my left some Mountain Dew or Gatorade to my right and having this on while well, well, taking on the dream stooges. <laughs> and so I, I really do think that it, it, it this is like one of those perfect background ones because it has this wonderful sound, especially with that guitar kind of coming in and being a little bit more of a focus. Mm-hmm. has a little more psychedelic, but also added more dream sequence away from the previous song, actually. So it kind of like wings you back in almost. Yeah, that guitar touches more at like 115 there's kind of that middle solo and then at the end of the song too it really gets it's kind of a chaotic solo if you want to call it that where it's just kind of all over the place something i've probably never heard in a guitar solo no it's kind of like john cage dropping like nuts and bolts on the back end of a piano to make right to make a song right you know it's kind of like that almost yep well, I do like at 224 as it's kind of fading out there. There seems to be like this. I mean, how do I describe it? Kind of a changing of the cassette. And then also mm. I sense, like I hear like a phone buzzing on the table possibly. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I don't know. So that's when, and mind you, I've only listened to this. Well, I've listened to it five times, but once on headphones for my notes and everything like that, other than the mental notes that I kept when I was working on the house, looking at sure. the background. Yep. So the first time I put headphones on, I'm like, I never heard that buzzing before, but I'm like, it's pretty fucking cool. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just, you know, sends me off into deja vu. That's right. When, it, when you kind of hear the changing of the cassette. Tra- it certainly does. Track number nine, Your Love, Deja Vu.
those crunchy drums starting off with that little flute kind of riff going on. Mm-hmm. Beefy kick drum also on this is really what I think helps drive it a little bit more. But um, it kind of has a little bit of remnants of Eminem almost, I saw it. Interesting. Did not pick that up. I'm not going to lie. I'm talking about early 2002, like Eminem, probably 2000 to 2002 almost. I I don't know why, but the vocal performance as well kind of had a little bit of that to do with it. Hmm. Well, I would imagine if this song is about nostalgia, there's probably some Eminem influence on here because if you grew up in the 90s, you heard Eminem growing up. Oh, yeah. it was He was everywhere. And he's he's pretty fucking good. So I love how Very this I love how this beat drives and I love that cool melody that flute clarinet kind of whatever that mm-hmm. sound is but what I really like is how it seamlessly moves into that pre-chorus so there's just that little like do do around like 335 336 or sorry 36 seconds and then that pre-chorus kicks in going into that chorus the vocal melody is just great over this beat and it's something that he's just really good at building these melodies over these cool beats I love it same with that I really chorus. think that the harmonies oh yeah I was gonna say uh, I really like the harmonies throughout here I think this is one of the stronger like performances with it because it it really has not a low register but more of a mid-tone register along with the falsetto and then kind of that mid-tone as well it's just really nice the harmonies just are really excellent on this there's that little guitar bit too around like at the end of the chorus to like 106 107 i think it's the best fit of the guitar into a song yet on this album kind of fits just like a puzzle piece just sneaks right in there just do 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 pretty simple straightforward but it was something i noticed and i was like oh yeah i think this is the best use of the guitar yet another good just song that makes you vibe and want to dance for sure yeah, this one also got one of my stars for favorite songs. Uh, this one, I mean, I've heard it on The Current quite a bit, I think. This is one of their singles, actually, if I remember right, correct? I'm not sure. They dropped like five singles, so there's a damn good chance it's one of them. Yeah, it has to, because I think I I jived to this right away when I first heard it on The Current, I think. Mm-hmm. It really helps when you're scraping ceilings. <laughs> Get you through, for sure. Yeah, when you got a waterfall of... Uh, of Popcorn ceiling raining on you, you got to get down with some deja vu. Popcorn ceiling. Talk about nostalgia. I'm trying to kill it. (laughs) So as this song wraps up, when that outro kicks in close to 340, it gets kind of ominous and heavy when he's saying, I can feel your love. And it's just, to me, this whole song is kind of about that since it's your love deja vu kind of reminiscing or rehashing or refeeling that love with like an ex of like hooking up with an ex and feeling the pleasure the pain the frustration the desire you really just thinking with your dick and not your head and then you kind of get that post not clarity of like uh-huh probably shouldn't have done that but here we are well you can't just say dick you gotta say clit as well because women do it, they go through it too. That's true. That's true. Girls. I've seen many girls that go, I should not have gone back to that ex because I just need to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> Men and women, people of all gender identifications. Yeah. It hap- I just want to get laid. It happens to every. I, we don't blame It happens you. to everyone. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. We all want to get laid. I feel you. It'll happen. It'll make, it's like, you'll say anything to get laid, like waterfalls coming out of your mouth. 
Transition for Ben. That's me. Track number 10, Waterfalls Coming Out Your Mouth. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I kind of have that 1960s feel uh, with that eerie guitar kind of riff. Mm-hmm. Or is it, is this the synth? I'm not sure. I think, I think it's a guitar, but it sounds like a synth. Yeah. And I even wrote that in my notes. It's like, this guitar yeah. sounds a lot like a synth, but I'm pretty sure it's a guitar. Yeah, it could it could play either way with this one, but I tell you what, uh, it may have that kind of almost 60s feel, but it definitely feels like something that today, very electronica with also being psychedelic 60s possibly, mm-hmm. you know, very nice feel to that, the opening of this one. Yeah, I love the line like right off the bat. So in just about 30 seconds when he says, I'm going to read your mind. And then he says, big dicks and big old titties on the sly, but the way it's produced <laughs> So, like, he does the voice modulation for that part. It's just kind of a random thing. So he's, And then just goes right back to singing it. Great way to present it. Yeah, see, that's part of, like, good storytelling, you know? It's just mm-hmm. kind of, like, fucking around with people. And it's just great, great play out with words. Yeah. Uh, just in ideas. I like about 137 in where this transition between the third verse and the fourth verse, it just kind of has... It just it kind of, you know, it you know inflates into the the popping of a bubble almost. It's like there's a there's, there's it was building up to that point and then it just pops, you know. And then fake youth, Scooby Doo, push pops on the corner of the roof. It just is kind of like almost like ooh, did did the nostalgia pop right there almost? Yeah, that's but cool. Yet it's still flooding through. That's cool you say that because I noticed some I noticed like that exact same thing of like you hear that expansive reverb on his vocals. But then it, to me, it was like seeing like a star explosion and just everything just like pops and then just fades out into the abyss. And you can't hear anything, but you just see like all the particles just float off this former star just into space. That's exactly how like I heard that same part, too. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the super 90s references, Scooby-Doo, Push Pops, all that stuff, all the kids stuff. The 90s were the shit, dude. They weren't bad. But I also really don't, I also, I also don't really care, but I mean, right. you know, I'm not one of those nostalgic no. freaks that always has to look back. But when you look back, it was, it was fun. You know, It was childhood. fun. It was childhood. The not, I mean, yeah, right. I, childhood. Yeah, I think yeah. everyone's like, oh yeah, childhood is pretty good. The 90s though were also massively uncool. Like the 80s and 90s are kind of uncool. They're cool yeah. in certain ways. And like, if you just look at general mainstream, like fashion design and the way people carry themselves, not very cool. As a kid, no, it was fine, but some of those clothes, pe- I mean, we're going to say this about every year, but man, that late 80s, early 90s, that was kind of a rough year for fashion and style for sure. I mean, women with those really shitty perms, I mean, and then the, the process that they had to go through just for those shitty perms yep. guys, and the smells. And guys wore Ooh. like big suits and things that like nothing fit. It was just bad. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you look at some of those suits. Oh, they're oversized suits and oversized ties. And it's just like, damn. They were incredibly loud. Insanely loud, and just like popcorn ceilings. And our track number 10. 11. 11. It's all so incredibly loud. So 
even despite the title, you know, there's a decent quiet beginning, which kind of has that soft ooh kind of carrying over. Mm -hmm. I kind of, I really like that, where it's just, that was a really bad idea. I didn't sing it, actually. (laughs) But really, this is, I mean, I've had tones of Tame Impala throughout here, I want to say, but this is where I'm like, ooh, this is kind of definitely a Tame Impala kind of feel Mm -hmm. at least Mm -hmm. you know this is kind of like the first time where it felt more focused like that i love how this beat gets built up and built up and you can slowly hear the sound getting raised and then at about 22 seconds it sounds like the whole beat just gets submerged and everything just becomes dampened and dark and then that synth comes right over top of it playing that melody and it's so seamless that you hardly even notice the beat disappear and then this melody come in because the melody of the synth kind of maintains the energy and the feel of the beat, but it totally replaces it and it's gone. And you don't it, you don't even notice it. And then that's when those oohs come I, in. I, I didn't until you just said yeah. that right there. <laughs> and then you just have this synth, and then you hear the oohs come in. He's like ooh, and you can I feel a little pain in those oohs. Mm-hmm. Sensing some pain for sure. And, you know, that's the best part, I think, is that for the the title and for what the performance of the song is, those actually, you know, play a huge part into it where it's it's really quiet within us, but it just is amplified because we analyze it all the time or we look at it and it is amplified, even though it's just a small part of what makes us, you know, realize what makes us unique. Mm-hmm. I really like the, how he performs the... I mean, most most importantly, the the pre-chorus part where he says, "Super silence in the quiet, I inside the storm, water from your broken iris fell toward the floor," and the rest of that pre-chorus, he really just enunciates. He kind of performs it with a really good flow. It just is one of those. It was like one of the best pieces of lyricism being performed. And the way that he just kind of enunciates everything involved with it. Mm-hmm. It's a really strong piece, and it really goes a long way because sometimes when you have a lot of these vocal effects, sometimes it can be difficult to kind of like get those enunciations, get all the words and the storyline in it. When you just listen to it, you can really hear it, and it's it's really, I think, like one of his top performances of, of uh, the album. Yeah, that's a good a good take. And it's right after, so that chorus part, round 210, is when the beat finally comes back that you didn't even notice was missing. And it's you just feel that continuous tension build up, and that's when he starts singing, ooh, I'm breaking down. And you can feel that pain and that angst coming through with that beat driving right behind it. Just, I don't know, I, I felt this one when I heard it. It was like, ooh, yeah, ouch. I can feel the pain here. And like about 240 kind of like just follows it follows that section that you're talking mm-hmm. about that's when this thing like really builds up into like a heavy like orchestration kind of a thing it just really just feels good and the drums still kind of stay back a little bit yeah so you're kind of getting that good rhythm going oh it, it's it's really nice how everything else is like just filling in the space mm-hmm. um, just so wonderful there yeah and then the volume, if you listen closely, like if you compare the volume from the beginning to the middle to the end, it's basically on a straight line trajectory up. Because if you listen, if you just skip to anywhere in the end of the song, minus the last like 20 seconds, but get to the last like 
40 seconds, 30, 40 seconds, the volume's super loud. It gets incredibly loud, and then it just wipes away, and that's when it just kind of fades out again with that beat, kind of the same way it yeah. came in. Yeah, I kind of wonder if they just were mixing it and just kind of pushing that knob up and up and up and just kind of like tried to turn it up as much as they could. Kind of reminds me of uh, I Want You, She's So Heavy by the Beatles on Abbey Road where that sure. final Mog kind of like jam session just kind of gets more and more and more and yep. more and it, it has a really good effect. Yep. So track number 12 is the next track and that's Back to the Transitions. And this one's about rockets, so you can hear the the young boy, presumably Dave, talking about rockets. And then we get some more music accompaniment on this one. It's about a minute long. And you can hear strings come in as you can hear this kid mm-hmm. talk about the rockets with his mom. Yeah, like about 24 seconds when those drums kind of kick in underneath that. Mm-hmm. And then it has a one bass note drop, which is like... Awesome. Sometimes all you need is one note. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and then it just slows down a little bit, but like the other ones, carries over into track number 13, Domestic Bliss. Yeah, and so instead of having that really, really deep bass notes going on, this has a little bit higher bass notes, kind of beginning with the riff and... You know, it has a little, it kind of just trails that home movie feel almost. Mm-hmm. Right, right away when the lyrics kick off, verse one, you can really feel more emotional pain. So it's kind of emotionally rough because this one's about domestic abuse. When he says, I see the bruise, I see the truth, I see what he's been doing to you. And this song revolves on that whole theme. And I can't tell, I'm not sure if he's singing to. I would think just based on the chorus, kind of like a love interest of like, why are you with this guy who beats you, you know, come with me. I don't think it's a family member um, just because he says like when he's like fight for me, we can leave. I'm begging, please. We can go to Hawaii in the chorus. But man, these lyrics are are laying it on thick quite again. This last half of this album especially is pretty, pretty heavy. Yeah, definitely. He from when I read this one is actually about a childhood um, friend who okay. has a mother that was beaten and came in with a bloody nose. He never understood why. So it's kind of, okay. you know, one of those, you know, overall it's just the abuse and kind of misunderstanding of why somebody would stay with somebody in a abusive relationship. And it really does, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's one of those lyrics that actually does depict it very, very well. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things too, where it really does feel like it's kind of him, doing self-therapy almost over it you know like Mm -hmm. he's you know now that he understands it he feels like he should go back into that little boy you know 10 year old 11 year old boy whatever he was and go why are you putting about the shit but it's like you know he might be angry at that little that 10 year old version of himself going no i should have stood up and it's like well you can't because you're only 10 or you're whatever age you are and you don't understand what is going on and it's difficult to say well i i would stop it now right I mean, it's easy to look back on any history and say, oh, I would have done this or, you know, oh, had I been in that situation, I would have done this. And I think we're seeing a lot of that now, even with like protest movements and things going on of like Mm -hmm. people like to look back at the 1960s and say like, oh, yeah, I for sure would have been on the side of the people who were protesting and getting hosed down by the cops and 
people who, you know, I'd be out there protesting and, you know, here we are doing the same things today. And you see a lot of people who aren't doing that and, you know, would be very much on the side of the police using the fire hoses to mm-hmm. hurt people and get them to leave. And, but yeah, it's the same thing of like, you know, you never know how you'd react or it's hard to revision history. And, and you're right about this story. So he, um, Dave Bailey said this quote, I was too young to understand why she had blood on her nose. So it was about a friend's mom. It was one of the toughest to write because it didn't feel like my story to tell, but it also felt like a story that needed to be told. Oh yeah, definitely. And you know, that's part of being an artist is able to go outside yourself and be able to still tell that story because you can say it from your perspective, but try to ma- at least make it relatable mm-hmm. and he definitely def- does a good job uh, throughout this this piece right yeah here for sure one of my favorite parts of this song is 205 when the strings kick in and really just add to that heightened emotion and you can hear the pizzicato plucks too sprinkled in there just bloop, 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 bloop. to me that's just a really like sharp piercing sound that carries a lot of emotional weight so i, I love it when i hear that sound in songs like this yeah, the, the spot I, I like it follows that as well so it plays up actually into the buildup of the bridge quite a bit but once the bridge hits like it, it plays in, in the transition excuse me uh, into the bridge the transition into the bridge is fantastic but also the overall buildup that follows the bridge is smooth and extremely just dynamite I just love how it is it's kind of all these emotions finally coming out of them saying okay this you know this isn't my shit but I you know, I, I know I can do better moving forward. You know, I realize it now. Mm-hmm. It, it, boom, I can fix it in the future rather than the past. Right. Boo, yeah, Ben. Now we might as well move on in into the heat wave. Crank things up a bit for sure. Track number 14 is Heat Waves. <laughs> I like the beginning of this where it kind of feels like a bit of a demo almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's kind of just him with, on the guitar, and it just feels nice, demo, homemade, so it kind of feels that homey feel. Just a really nice little piece, and then 17 seconds in, the bass note drops, and fuck yeah. It's, it, again, this is where I kind of felt a little bit more Tame Impala vibe. Yeah. was starting right at this point on. Yeah, things kick up, and it's kind of interesting too because... It's a little bit of different format. The verse really doesn't start until 40 or so seconds in. And I feel like on a lot of these songs, they hit quicker. And with this one, it starts out with the chorus. Yeah, we talked, I think, before about starting off with the chorus, but not a lot of people actually kind of do that mm-hmm. too much. So. It's not super common to hear that, to start off with the chorus like this. But it sends the signal of what this song is right away and... As you listen to it, when he's thinking about this person, it's, you know, this song, you definitely hear it becoming about a breakup or a relationship at least gone bad and contemplating, you know, I just can't give you what you need, but I still think about you and care about you, but I got to let you go. Yeah, they really do uh, a very fine job of at least still keeping it pop relevant Mm -hmm. uh, with the music while also at least talking a little bit deeper uh, topic that is kind of a little melancholy and uh, definitely keep it keep it vibing at least this is another one that just kind of keeps popping up really good mm-hmm. the way he tells the story is kind of cool so basically like what I was saying of like verse one kind of paints the picture of like the relationship kind of being at a standstill you have the chorus coming in that verse two when he says 
you can't fight it, you can't breathe it. You say something so loving, but now I gotta let you go. You'll be better off than someone new. And so then now it's kind of like, okay, here's where we're going with this one. So he does a really good job just storytelling in general on this one of like, here's what I think it's about. Oh yeah, it's definitely about that. Yeah, musically about 228 when the music kind of just drops out. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I, except for the vocals and a little bit of keys in the background, just really nice. Kind of gives that inner monologue kind of feel to this whole song of kind of going, okay, do I go through this or not? Yep. And then I really like my favorite part musically of this is right after that when the chorus comes back in mm-hmm. and right before it, everything just stops. And then at 254, there's that single drum hit, doom, and the chorus just drops right back in. So everything just slows down and gets quiet, and then boom, the chorus erupts back in. I love that stuff. Yeah. It's very underrated when people do, don't like at least consider just space, you know, just time and space mm-hmm. just as a silence, as, you know, a good emotional, like, uh, you know, hit, you know. And then just as it rides out, you have the like the heavy clipping bass sound mm-hmm. and just really carrying the weight of this song out with it. Yeah, and it kind of just like all of a sudden just kind of does that little mm-hmm. and then just kind of stops so that it can go into the last transition of uh, home movies. Um, home movie, Shoes On, track number 15. Shoes On! I always yell, Shoes Off. I'm a shoes off guy. If you go backwards a little bit, I mean, it, it starts off just kind of just kind of talking with, or not talking, but playing uh, some swirling kind of electric organ, very silent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just kind of, they're there talking about whether they got their shoes on. The kids got the shoes on backwards. I think we've all been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just kind of a nice little play between, you know, mother and son almost. Um, you know, is it time now? Wait a second. Uh, here's my boy. Right time, you know. So very kind of playful, you know, you know, mother and son kind of a play. So I don't know how it really leads into the next song too much with that content. Um, but musically, it just kind of floats right into uh, song 16. Helium. Track 16, Helium. So this guitar coming in here, this kind of reminds me a lot of Tame Impala. And I've really wanted to hold off on the musical comparisons. I know we kind of compare them as a band Mm -hmm. a little bit. But this kind of reminds me of some Tame Impala, some earlier Tame Impala with that guitar being pretty crisp and clear and then just slowly rising and kind of building up and the drums too that kick in it's like an actual drum kit beat it's not electronic drums like we've heard in most of this album this is a real drum kit you can just tell i don't know i think by the way it feels and sounds to me at least no i would agree with you on that one it 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 definitely is off of the electric drum kind of kits this one just feels like it's got you know the the actual hit of of um of every piece yeah, i really like the the cleaner guitar sound uh, that shrilling guitar riff that starts off with it too so it's it's definitely a, a different sound a little bit from what we've heard earlier almost throughout the whole album so it's kind of a nice little ultimate song you mm-hmm. know? 
Yeah, it kind of takes on a new tone too. And you can feel it just as the way it sounds like we are kind of getting to the end of the album here and just getting a little bit back into more of that dreamy state, especially once we get into the second half. But even this first half here, you just kind of feel this more existential feel to this one. I like about 158 where it kind of is just Davey and the guitar, mm-hmm. you know, with vocals and the guitar. It, it, it's it's another clean, clean guitar, that piece that just is really nice to kind of feel, um, especially near the end of the dreamland state or whatever this is, you know, whatever the concept truly is with this. It's really nice to have that clarity almost um, in the instrumentation. Yeah, I, I love that part too. I noticed it, just having it, the guitar front and center there sounds really great. And then that beat kicks back in around 223 or so. Um, but again, this song, there's a lot of emotional weight to it. You know, it kind of sounds like just based on the words of like being in love with someone, but not being quite sure if you're in love with them. And then like kind of finding out that you do want them more than you thought, especially like when you find out that they might be with somebody else. It's just kind of a cool, another emotional song. So you can really feel it coming up here. And you know, based on some of the words, and even now that I'm just looking through like the genius words of like contemplating being in love with another man as a man, um, that's not something I picked out just on my own when I was reading it. But based on the words, it's like, oh yeah, maybe I am realizing this, but I'm not quite sure. And that kind of plays on this whole theme of what we've been feeling throughout. But then 319 or so is when we get brought back to the first track so it's kind of that reprise almost of just continuing it on again and reintroducing dreamland and you hear that deep cello come in that same sound we talked about earlier just really emphasizing with that bass vocal just the weight in the dreaminess state of this really cool way i'm liking this how you how they wrapped up this album i think it's pretty cool yeah definitely there feels like there is quite a few um a little more sound effects going on in the background too there's this whirring sound kind of you know it, it, like if somebody was um hitting their vape pen that kind of mm. suction sound yeah and it's just very faint but it also pans quite a bit around in the background during this dream state mm-hmm. like it's kind of like a winding down or like a fire burning almost for sure like it's you know kind of whatever going so really good way to end the album where it's they're adding a lot of depth to not only just the music around, but even the vocals um, are pretty well layered coming in here. One of my favorite parts. So I think this is a really, really cool way to end the song. So right around 430 is when everything just cuts out and there's like 10 seconds of silence. Mm -hmm. You would just assume it's over. But if you're listening and keep listening, you get rewarded because it basically like, rewinds through this whole album which is a really cool concept of like how it just goes backwards that's kind of how I take it as like just flying backwards now through this whole dream and like rehashing bits and pieces of each song and just kind of recapping and tying everything together you have some of the home movie clips coming in there it's a really cool interesting way something I've never heard before Yep, definitely. That's the spot I was I was hitting up onto as well. I just really like the tie up of the home videos come at the end. Um, uh, it, you you described it actually better than I could. That was absolutely wonderful because it really does feel like you're uh, fast forwarding is like a really great interpretation mm-hmm. of it. And then 
say bye 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 just and that's how it ends and that's it <laughs> i know and it's just kind of a wonderful way to do it because you know it's I don't know, it definitely fits the nostalgic aspect of it. And so they definitely kicked its ass. So, now that we've reached the end, Ben, we got some uh, ratings to give this puppy. So, you ready to tee it off for us? Yeah, sure. So this one, this album was definitely a huge push into the electronic and synth sound, even more so than what I've we've heard from Glass Animals before. So they really, really dove into it headfirst here. And it's like we talked about, it's highly personal. It's a shift even from those first two albums, just kind of being funny, loosey-goosey kind of lyrics and vibe to it. And this one got a little more intense. A lot of those songs carried a lot of emotional weight from childhood to adulthood. And I, I love the concept of like, everything's got this dreamy vibe to it. So it all kind of takes place in this dreamland universe of nostalgia and reminiscing so i really think it's a i mean this is a concept album we've talked about concept albums before on this podcast so it's it's definitely a new concept and i think a pretty cohesive concept really if you at least musically if you kind of think about just how the music all kind of ties together so that was a good job on that my first time i listened through it it was kind of tough for me to distinguish between the different songs but i think that just comes with the territory a of you and I not being predominant listeners of this kind of music. So we're not used to the nuances and just being more into like guitar music. But then also just with any first time listening through any album, it's kind of hard to pick out the differences between songs right away. So I don't I don't think that's a huge setback or anything. Uh, the mixing and production on this is great. It sounds super, super good. Um, you know, there's not a ton of stuff to be mixed since it's, I mean, you're still mixing everything in here, but with electronic stuff, it's, there's a little bit different ball game that goes into it. Um, I think most of these songs are pretty good. There's a couple that are fall a little flat or just don't stand out quite as much, but I think some are really good. Tangerine, Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, Tokyo Drifting are all pretty damn good. Um, so I'm pretty happy with this album and I think the more I listen to it the more I'm really going to start to enjoy it and I'm pretty happy with this one so on our our rating scale we rate out of one to six strings six being fantastic three being average and one being really bad a one string of course we can throw in sharps and minus sharps and flats which is like pluses and minuses so in this one I'm coming down at a four flat that's where I am I think it's early, you know, when we do these album reviews, when we haven't had a lot of time with the album, I think I usually might come down a little harder than have if the album's been out for a while when I've listened to it more. So I think maybe with some more time with this one, it might go up for me a little bit too. No, that's a really good rating, Ben. Uh, you, you, you've said some really good points that I kind of just uh, I agree on quite a bit. Uh, the concept of the album is um, the main thing that really drives me. I really love the aspect of it. Um, I think the instrumentation is actually pretty clever. I think there's some really good mixes in there where they they actually hold some instruments back so that they can bring new ones to the forefront and they kind of work maybe around something like that because it maybe fit the idea lyrically. Um, fantastic. I think it's uh, very good work all the way around. Um, performed well too as well. Uh, the vocal performance, not only just the mixing, but just in general of how he... He made all of his melodies flow, uh, made everything fit within something so that he could uh, really get the emphasis of the story out. So songwriting is absolutely really good. I think some spots, um, I just really think that for me when I was doing this, uh, 
to me, it, it's just a little bit too poppy, meaning it's a little too consistent with the pop uh, sure. in, the, in this aspect of, um, you know, I really do feel like How to Be a Human Being actually is a lesser album of the two. Like, I think this is a step up. Yeah. But I do feel like there's a little more variety of breaking from the pop uh, within that one. So I don't think they did well in there, but I still say that they put out a really good effort in this one. I think... Um, for me, when I was listening to it, rather than having the headphones on, I had four listens where it was background music and I was trying to really, you know, get the popcorn ceiling and then also really pay attention to the, the songs. And to me, when I was listening to it just in background, it, I really couldn't tell the difference, you know, with the songs, kind of like what you mentioned sure. before, where when your first listen was, you couldn't really decipher the difference between them. And even when I still put the headphones on, I could still feel that a little bit. So I think I might just need a little bit more intense listen. Sure. So I kind of came in at a three sharp on this one. Uh, okay. But I definitely could see this possibly jumping up to your land, a four flat. Um, but right now for a three sharp, it's mainly because of the pop elements. I think a lot of the other mus- musical elements that they did bring into it, I wouldn't mind have seen some different, you know, melodic sounds. It doesn't always have to be poppy. It doesn't always have to be popular. I like if they could have driven home an idea a little bit differently vocally uh, with their melodies. I think it may have shown just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think really this one is a pop. You know, I think it's a really good pop album, actually, to be honest with you. Um, so that's why I say, even though I gave it, it's not even a low. I gave, well, I gave it like a little bit above average uh, rating yep. for us. I think other people are going to catch on with this, I think, because there are really good melodies. There's some really good beats. I think the concept album breaks a little bit with Denzel Curry's thing. If they would have, that's a great song. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? Tokyo drift. If I remember right. Yep. Tokyo um, drifting. That one is a fun, amazing tune. I think they could have just done a little bit more to keep the dream sequence going. Cause I do believe it does break there, especially after such a great song like space goes coast to coast. Uh, that's probably my favorite song on there. But I do believe this album starts off stronger than it ends, even though Helium is a wonderful, fun song. Yep. And I like how it closes with the concept of going back to the first song. Mm-hmm. So the concept is wonderful, except for that one break for me, um, especially uh, with it being a little more consistently pop, unfortunately, sure. for my taste. So uh, I would definitely say um, if I gave it a couple more lessons with the headphones, it could get up to the four flat. But I'm for right now, I'm going to give it a three sharp. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Yeah, I mean we're yeah. right we're right by each other on that. So I think we yeah. kind of had the same thought process. Yeah, without crossing the streams. Right. Stay true. Yeah. 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 All right, folks, I think we are done with the Glass Animals Dreamland. Go listen to it. It's fantastic. Yeah, and swing on over to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and leave us a review and throw in an album between now and September, and we will do that album on this show. Well, until next week, Ben, we'll uh, get that needle off the record. Goodbye. Peace.